My guest today on The Politics of Living is Kristen Wilson, Chair of the Anthropology Department at Cabrillo College in Aptos, California. She is the author of Not Trying, Infertility, Childlessness, and Ambivalence. She previously worked as an ethnographer at the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory University in Atlanta. Her new book, entitled Others' Milk, The Potential of Exceptional Breastfeeding, has very recently been published through Rutgers Press. Welcome to The Politics of Living, Kristen. Thank you, Vicki. Happy to be here. You think of breastfeeding in a different way. What's your definition of breastfeeding, and how is it different from the term you use in the title of your book, Exceptional Breastfeeding? You know, one of the things that I found out through during, doing this research, I interviewed um, over 83 families who are doing what I called exceptional breastfeeding eventually, um, is that in a way it doesn't matter so much how I define it. Um, it's an early finding of the research because so many of the folks that I interviewed define it in different ways. So, for example, some consider nursing a child at the breast or the chest to be breastfeeding or sometimes called chest feeding, even if there's no milk, and that's sometimes called comfort feeding. Sometimes they will provide milk in formula that is in a bag that they've got around their neck and there's a tube leading to the nipple and they'll call that breastfeeding. And then still others describe themselves as breastfeeding if they were giving their children breast milk from a bottle that maybe the parent had pumped or was donated by somebody else who was lactating. And so when breastfeeding doesn't really look like we expect between a mother who gave birth and her infant, it feels exceptional. And so um, this is kind of an umbrella term to describe these uh, different ways of breastfeeding that people are engaging in in order to reach their parenting goals. They want to nurture their children at the breast. They want to nurse them with breast milk and so that whatever they can do. You know, in the mid-20th century, it was actively advised to raise babies on formula, not breast milk. That was the prevailing wisdom at the time. That trend seems to have reversed and breastfeeding in public is now legal across the country. What's the unfinished business of breastfeeding? Well, I think that it's still, um, at this point, a really difficult um, experience for some people. Um, that is because even though it's the accepted norm, more than 80% of people who have a new infant attempt to breastfeed that infant. But when that child is six months old, that number starts to dip down drastically. And it's very different depending on one's social status. So folks who uh, have lower incomes are less likely to be able to continue breastfeeding at six months, even though that may have well been their intention. In fact, usually it is. Because we, even though we advocate for breastfeeding, we don't have sufficient social support. So, for example, in many places, you're supposed to be able to pump at work. Well, that doesn't really work in reality for a lot of people who have service jobs. Uh, it doesn't work in reality for many teachers or nurses because of the nature of their job, and it really undermines their breastfeeding goals. But the exceptional breastfeeders that I was talking to are people that are even further outside the norm in some ways. These are folks who are inducing lactation. Maybe they didn't give birth to that baby. Perhaps they adopted it or got the baby via surrogacy. People who are 
um, not able to, for whatever reason, make enough milk to breastfeed their baby, they get milk from friends. And there's not really a template for the folks who are breastfeeding in these more um, unusual ways, but there are a lot of those folks. And so what they're doing is they're figuring out ways of kind of creatively reaching their goals without the existing social supports. And so I was interested in talking to them because they're not really waiting for society to catch up in a sense. They're kind of doing it themselves. And so they provide um, kind of insight of ways that people can kind of get things done without those supports. But we certainly need to improve our social supports if we really do want to advocate for breastfeeding, which we know is great for the mother, it's great for the baby and the child. So that's some of the work that you're saying needs to be done. There's more more community support, more, more social support. The perspective of that is always the mother is giving the milk to the infant, but that's not always been the case historically. And sometimes it's been wet nurses or, you know, another animal's milk. You are painting the picture of this community effort where, you know, it takes a, a village, basically, um, involving partners, involving siblings, involving any extended family and friends, and sometimes complete strangers. And what do you think that looks like? I, a lot of times breastfeeding can feel quite isolating, Folks are kind of doing it in their own home. Maybe they don't feel comfortable doing it in public. It can be a little tricky to get the hang of it, not for everyone, but for a lot of folks. The exceptional breastfeeders that I talk to are folks that really have to reach out to make breastfeeding work. So I ended up interviewing friends who brought breast milk to the hospital for new parents to give to their babies. I talked to milk donors and recipients. Um, in one case, it was a law enforcement community in New England who formed this bucket brigade to get milk from somebody who had extra to somebody who needed it. And so that milk would travel from a you know, police car to an ambulance to a fire engine and so on, getting to whoever needed it. And I also talked to members of a volunteer collective of black women in the South who ensured that milk from one low-income woman uh, who had extra milk got to somebody who didn't have enough, and then they facilitated a relationship between those parents. And I also talked to a number of same-sex co-mothers who split the nursing duties, making breastfeeding around the clock easier on everyone. And I, I bring all of these up because these are broad examples that show us how a community effort can take that experience from being an isolated one into a more socially cohesive one. And I think if everybody had a more social experience with breastfeeding, people would be more supported, more satisfied, everybody be happier. It sounds like getting back to what we've historically done as humans, as long as we've been around, there's been issues with women not being able to produce milk so other women would step in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in a lot of places around the world, it is so not a big deal. Um, we really got away from it when we, when formula was thought to be just so scientific and, you know, made in a lab and therefore pure and better. We've, we've you know, eventually rejected that idea. But there was you know, a whole generation that was believing that formula was so much better. Now that we're back to breast milk, 
Um, it's not the same, I think, as it was a long time ago because we have these little tiny nuclear families. Sometimes we're separated from extended family, and folks are trying to do this on their own. And in the meantime, we had this whole culture of intensive mothering uh, it started out in the 80s or really intensify in the 80s and has been intensifying ever since this idea that you have to provide the absolute best for your child and if you don't then you are a failure you're a failure as a mother you're a failure as a woman and as a person and many many women extend that to breastfeeding if breastfeeding doesn't go well for them they think that they're terrible I think these exceptional breastfeeders show us if we have a bit of a broader view of what is successful, maybe folks don't have to be so down on themselves. A couple generations ago, it was formula, you didn't breastfeed, it was frowned upon, and now the pendulum swung back the other way. So those who don't breastfeed, you, you write in the book, run the risk of that public, public scrutiny for being lazy or selfish. And what do you think is the more middle ground for that? We can't make a judgment about other people's parenting choices because we don't know their experience. So I talked to a number of people who needed to give formula and breast milk to their child because they didn't have enough milk for whatever reason. I talked to people who had suffered sexual trauma earlier in their lives, and for them, breastfeeding was just too uncomfortable, and so they exclusively pump their milk um, or maybe use formula. Now, I should mention, for some people who've experienced uh, that sort of trauma, breastfeeding, they told me, was a healing experience for them, and then they could kind of get back to a more comfortable relationship with their own bodies. There's also gay fathers who want to bond with their babies. There's, as you said, new mothers who can't produce milk, and also... What are the obstacles and what are potential solutions? Yeah, so so one uh, issue here is that there is so much insecurity for everyone about being a good parent, particularly middle class parents, but you know parents who are um, have a little bit less social capital or are subject to quite a lot of judgment, right, from authorities and so on. Um, and one go-to strategy that we've had, and I feel like uh, polit politicians have sometimes taken advantage of, is to really point to bad parents to make yourself feel better about difficult decisions. And I would like to see this change, and I see exceptional breastfeeders as showing us a way that that could be done. And not judging other people's choices is an important first step. Um, the next step, I think, is to work collectively to eliminate barriers for parents who are just trying to get their children what they need. And so, yeah, we, I talked to gay fathers who wanted to be able to give their children breast milk. They're well aware of the benefits of breast milk, and so what some of them have done is gotten donated breast milk in order to give their infants that you know, high-quality nutrition. Um, another thing that, that they have done is to hold their babies skin to skin, and this is a very good opportunity for that bonding experience. Sometimes breastfeeding advocates will say, hey, pumped milk, pumped breast milk given to the baby is not the same as breastfeeding. Well, those who need to do that really don't like to hear that story. Um, and there are many other ways to bond with your baby. I mean, there are loads of fathers through time immemorial who've bonded with their babies without breastfeeding them. So I think uh, a middle ground is maybe trying not to 
judge people for their choices, but to make those choices uh, true choices so that when people want to breastfeed and vast majority of people do, that we eliminate all of those obstacles to making that possible. Obstacles like being judgmental in public, um, obstacles like giving them dirty looks when they're taking a lot of breaks at work, obstacles like not having paid family leave, for instance. There's a number of things that we could do to actually support people um, in getting breastfeeding to work out for them. What is your personal interest and or experience with this issue? Yeah, well, my interest is um, partly just because I am interested in all manner of family building, and I really like to uh, look at procreative politics as a sociologist and as an ethnographer. I'm particularly interested in the voices of people that get left out. Um, we have a mainstream dialogue about every aspect of, of parenting and family building, but we often leave out whole swaths of people. So I'm interested in finding out what they have to say about the experience. Um, because we know this in sociology that kind of from the social margins is where you get change. That's where you get people um, figuring out new ways, new ways of, of being in our world. And the other thing maybe um, you might be getting at is my personal experience. So when my first son was born, um, I uh, was kind of expecting to adopt a child. I didn't know when it was going to happen. And when I went to pick him up from the hospital, everything was great. Um, they introduced me to him. I took him home, and I just started lactating. And that experience of being so overwhelmingly happy that I had this new child to take care of um, caused this physiological reaction of lactation. And this is something that, you know, scientists know happens. And um, I didn't really know what to do about it. I didn't have any uh, support and, and uh, any really way of figuring out how to breastfeed it. But even though it's natural, it doesn't come naturally. People are so social. We're social animals, and we need help with certain things. And this is definitely one of them. Um, and so then um, I had a surprise one year later my child's birth mother had another baby, completely unexpected. I went to the hospital to pick him up, and this time I asked to speak to the lactation consultant, so these experts on breastfeeding, and said, hey, I lactated spontaneously last time. Is there anything that I can do to get breastfeeding to work? And then she provided me with a number of tools for inducing lactation. So fascinating. That's something I didn't know that you can have lactation without having been through the pregnancy portion of the program. That's how um, same-sex mothers will both breastfeed their baby. Um, one of them can induce lactation. Um, I even talked to um, trans-feminine mothers who breastfed their babies. So you can, um, you know, be assigned male at birth and still even males have the capacity to induce lactation. Not very many of them do, but... Um, you know, it has been documented throughout the world that sometimes um, if a mother dies when their baby's in infancy, um, the uh, father might start lactating, um, and that's, that's happened a number of times. Well, we certainly all have the equipment, don't we? Sure. If breast milk confers immunities to babies because they say it's you know, very good for them, wouldn't the breast milk of multiple people confer more immunities? 
It stands to reason, and I joked about this in my own life because I got donor milk um, for my first son, is that he had immunities to all kinds of things because he got breast milk from such a huge number of women. Um, the breast milk science right now is, um, if you'll pardon the pun a little bit, in its infancy, um, <laughs> but it has been growing a lot. They've been finding out that when somebody breastfeeds their baby, their baby actually produces some backwash that is then absorbed by the body of the person who's breastfeeding and causes their body to adjust the uh, composition of the milk. So it's just astonishing research like that. Um, and uh, it, it's hard to say um, what kind of, um, you know, immune protections they might get from, from shared milk um, because not a ton of research has been done on that. But I, I do agree that what I've seen with people who are sharing milk is that they really are creating a community. Um, and it's an interesting community because it's it's sort of a community of con, uh, convenience and it's kind of temporary. The relationships are oftentimes pretty deep and emotional, but then they go away. When the breastfeeding journey is over, that relationship might well dissipate. You know, you mentioned earlier about your own experience with a lactation consultant, and I'm wondering how widespread lactation consultants are and how possibly they could be made more readily available to folks who don't have a lot of income or resources? Wow, that is such a good question. So um, most of the hospitals um, do have a relationship with lactation consultant. Um, the larger hospitals will have some on staff. Uh, they also, um, in California, I know they have a number of baby-friendly hospitals. Actually, it's, it's nationwide now, but um, baby-friendly hospitals usually have lactation consultants on hand. Midwives typically have close relationships with uh, lactation consultants, and so they, they are available for those, sometimes um, if you need more help than might be provided very soon after the birth, um, not everybody has the income to hire a private lactation consultant. And so there are some other groups. Um, there's In California, there's something called the Nursing Council, which provides free lactation consulting um, in the home and uh, over the phone. Of course, La Leche League has is, is, um, been around since the 1950s, and most communities have La Leche League meetings, or you can call La Leche League to get advice about breastfeeding. Um, and some people have had quite a lot of success with that. Um, so, it, you know, it varies. I think folks who are doing breastfeeding in some, some more unusual ways, inducing lactation or maybe uh, sharing their milk, um, or maybe having some trouble with their milk supply or getting breastfeeding going, um, there are a lot of resources um, on the Internet um, to get them started. Probably even YouTube videos, I should imagine. Yeah, there's YouTube videos. Um, I've talked to a number of people who would find 
communities online, but then those would quickly lead to in-person meetings. And in-person meetings definitely, I think, helps a lot in terms of just really being able to see um, what's uh, being able to troubleshoot, you know, problems with, with breastfeeding. Data concluding that either breastfeeding or formula are clearly superior is lacking, I'm assuming, because you've done some research. You caution use of any definitive outcomes for either one of these and why. You know, there, there's more research um, really every day about the composition of, of breast milk. Um, there was a little bit of a cottage industry in the scholarly community talking about how the um, the claims about breast milk and breastfeeding were a bit overblown, that the, that the data were not as strong as maybe the ad campaign suggested they were. I do think that what's been happening is that more and more research has been done on breast milk, and it is shown to be um, quite a healthful substance. Um, and then there's more of a range, I think, with formula. But the thing is that sometimes formula is what parents need, and sometimes formula um, is something that is used to, to um, supplement whatever breast milk that they can get. And, I, you know, for me, um, my research really focuses on the experiences of people, and I, that's who I'm listening to. I'm listening to the people who've, who've talked about what it feels like to be highly criticized if they use formula or highly criticized if they breastfeed for too long, right? They're, they've breastfed their child until they're five years old or something like that. And so my concern is really um, – how we as a society can do a better job of supporting all parents and always trying to believe the best of them. As an ethnographer, what sorts of conversations do you hope the book fuels, and what are you afraid of in terms of a possible backlash? So what I would like to see is um, what I found out from this research is that breastfeeding outside of the norm challenges assumptions that we have in our society about motherhood, about gender, and about family. And I would really invite folks who read this book to think about challenging those assumptions so that we can have more expansive understandings of, of family, um, so that we can be more supportive of mo more people who are trying to do the best that they can. Um, my concerns are really around milk sharing. There are concerns that have been posed by public health officials and public health advocates that sharing milk might be dangerous, that there could be, they could be passing along uh, medications or infections um, through the breast milk. Um, what research has been showing lately is that those who share breast milk are awfully careful with the milk and with whom they share it. Um, so that might be less of a concern that, it, that it's made out to be. But I am worried um, about the milk itself getting regulated. Now that the milk is, has been shown to be uh, so valuable, how long is it before it becomes commercialized and commodified? I mean, the formula companies are already claiming that they have breast milk in their formula. So they'll, they'll make some chemicals that are very much like breast milk and kind of 
sell the formula um, on a marketing pl- platform that it's it's uh, you know just like human milk. Um, so a little concerned about commercial interests and about politically uh, charged regulations. Yeah, because if there's a a dollar to be made, you know all sorts of entities will step in and people who are sharing their milk right now. The culture of that in uh, North America and in, in uh, Australia also um, is that you share it and it is free. It's pretty taboo to sell your milk, um, particularly among middle class folks. Um, it's seen as a gift and it's it's thought of as not being appropriate to be selling. Now, on the other hand, women who are quite poor might it might make a lot of sense for them to do some kind of barter trade or selling of their milk, um, you know, helping each other out. Um, and so I get a little concerned when when people go a little too far with this taboo that you, you can't sell it because um, I'm concerned that that's a, sort of a privileged position. Yeah, and it's a, a little bit like, uh, for instance, when people sell their blood plasma, for instance, or that kind of thing. You know, and that gets a little uh, worrisome. There, uh, a few years ago in Detroit, there was um, a, a formula company, a kind of a, a yeah, formula company for really lack of a better word, who went to uh, Detroit and recruited poor women from the community and was paying them for their breast milk. Well, um, advocates in the area, particularly black women, were very, very concerned that women were being induced to sell their milk, um, that they were being uh, kind of taken advantage of, and as a consequence, their own babies were being deprived of the milk because the women could get so much money for selling it. So that was shut down, but it's, it's you know something to keep an eye on. And especially with African-American women, as you well know, I mean, historically, that's happened a lot where you know, in the old days, they had to nurse the white babies to the detriment of their own children. So that's that's a, a big historical emotional hit for them, and rightly so. Yeah, and it's a scary prospect to think that poor women might be encouraged to pump and donate their milk so that, you know, those who are better off can purchase it, right? That that could happen, and that's a real concern, too. The exceptional breastfeeders that I talked to demonstrated resilience and creativity in a different way, and I think that I, I would like to see that catch on rather than the commercial interests. Do you have any final thoughts or information to share? One thing that I would like to say is that the exceptional breastfeeders who I talk to, because they know what it's like to struggle as parents and to suffer other people's sanctimony, and they get creative anyway, they are unwilling to negatively judge other parents, as I mentioned, and this finding was overwhelming. They didn't want other folks to suffer like they had, and so they've begun organizing in small ways to affect change and to create supportive, more communal spaces for all kinds of parents. I really enjoyed seeing ultra-conservative homeschooling Tea Party members sharing their milk with gay families in their neighborhoods. So I, I, it was a hopeful experience, and, and I, I really liked that part of it. Um, and if folks want to know more, um, they can visit my website. It's Kristen J. Wilson. That's Kristen with two I's, kristenjwilson.com.